right, so identity is a pretty significant thing these days. Uh, it's always been significant, but it's definitely one of the, the hot topics uh, specifically for North America. And I think it's with good reason, you know, that we go throughout our day and we go throughout our lives and we try to figure out where we really seem to constantly be in a bit of a search or a journey to figure out who we are, right? Now, that isn't actually just for teenagers, right? So as little children, we look to our parents to sort of help form our identity and kind of give us some direction, some purpose, and some validation. And then as teenagers, we begin to expand that circle, and we allow society to have a little bit more of an impact. And we begin to start questioning. We become, we become aware of questions like, well, who am I in this situation? Who am I in that situation? Who am I with these people, with those people? And we begin to form an idea inside of us as to who we are. Now, some of that can be really good because it's always good to be on a journey and to be moving a direction, right? The difficulty, though, is when we hold on to the concepts and ideas of who we are based on what other people say and what other people think and then our interpretation of that, right? Because very little of it is actually based on absolute truths. And so I really began to ask God, well, then, Father, like, if in... If in um, identity is so, like if it fluctuates so much, if it's so predetermined almost by how society views us or, or labels us or whatever, how then can we truly have our, our own identity? Who are we really? And so, of course, I had a Sunday school answer come up uh, that was, well, just know your identity in Christ. And I was like, that's great. Like, I, I like that. And... I'd really like to know what that is a little bit deeper. Like how, what is the practicality of that? Like, how does that actually impact me? Because my identity still should not really be based on an external definition or an external circumstance or external experiences, but rather something very internal, right? Because identity really is what you believe yourself to be, and then it's somehow portrayed to the rest of the world, and so that was very helpful for me in understanding identity a little bit and understanding a, like a workable definition because I, w I want the world to perceive me in a specific way. Well, if I want them to perceive me and receive me in a certain way, I have, a, I have in mind sort of an end goal. And in order to, to really explore that, then I have to begin to ask myself some deep internal questions. For an example, why do I want the world to see me in this light? What is it that I'm seeking from the world so that I will, you know, feel validated or whatever it is? But when I begin to ask those questions, I begin to really search out, well, why, why do I need the world's validation? Why do I need somebody else to give me some sense of security as to who I really am? And so in exploring identity, I was like, okay, God, like, I hear you, you've got a lot to say about this. And I also noticed you gave me a different scroll that was destiny, or his plans and purposes for us, right? And I saw that you were bringing these two things together, and that you have one message that involves both of these topics, and both of these ideas. So what do you want to say about destiny? Like, kind of just give me a heads up here. And he says, well, 
remember, like, that I have plans and purposes for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true, that's true. And so as I explored this concept of destiny with God, right, like, and destiny is a, is a word that a lot of people in the world today use, um, fate, blah, 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 all these different things. And I was, like, thinking, man, like, that's a little bit edgy maybe. But God, what do you say about destiny? And he reminded me again that he has plans and purposes for us. And so then in the journey towards destiny, in, in, in trying to figure out who I am and what my life is meant to look like, I remember, man, like, oh, without vision, the people perish. And sometimes internally we feel like we're perishing because we don't feel like we have a plan or we don't feel like we have a purpose. And so then we begin this journey or we continue a journey to try to figure out what is my purpose in life. Right? What is even my purpose in this day, in this moment? Like, why am I doing this? What's going on? Why should I endeavor to overcome? Why should I endeavor to tackle this in my life? Why shouldn't I just let all things happen as they happen? Right? Now, in, in the past, I've struggled with control issues. And so, therefore, for me to, to relinquish any control to the outside world to determine what my life is going to be has always been a struggle. So to recognize that God has a plan and a purpose for me that I can partner together with him by choice, I say, thank you for allowing me to have some control, and I want to hand that control back over to you, Father, because you're the only one I actually trust. I don't even trust me in, with my own life. Because so often in life, like, I don't know if, about you, but I, I've often weighed who I am today based on my past failures. You know, and maybe you feel similarly sometimes. I'm not saying that all the time, but occasionally, Right? The scales are kind of like, well, this is what you did, Ken, so therefore you can't do this now because you've been disqualified. And God said to me very clearly, uh, excuse me, buddy, <laughs> there's only one past and present and future that you really need to be concerned about in regards to whether you're qualified or disqualified. And I said, oh, really? Well, who, could you, like, enlighten me? He says, absolutely. And, it's, and, and the only past thing that matters is what happened on the cross. Because Jesus determined something for me and for you and for each of us. And we are weighed according to what he did and the sacrifice that he paid. And so when I look at my life now, I can say, you know what? These plans and purposes that God has for me, I am 100% qualified for because of what Christ has done for me. And I'm like, thank you very much for giving me, a, giving me hope for a future, you know, a destiny, something beyond me that I could grab a hold of because of the promises of Christ that actually are going to be fulfilled. I think that's pretty spectacular, right? Like you serve a God who's like, I love you, let's keep moving on, <laughs> right? Let's not get stuck in these things. And so I said, okay, good. Now I kind of have an idea that you're going to have something super positive to say about both topics, and you're going to bring them all together, so let's go ahead and tackle one at a time. And he says, okay, thanks for working with me. So that was good. I like dialoguing with God. It's pretty, pretty awesome. How about you? Do you like it? Good. Over the course of our lives, each person's identity is being formed and shaped through individual experiences, relationships, culture, media, and the world around us. We are constantly seeking to define who we are in any way that we can. And so I guess the challenge for us... Oh, now it's going to get serious. I'm standing up. <laughs> um, the challenge for us really, um, as I see it, how you see it might be totally different, and that's fine, but based on who I feel I am, I tackle things from a very specific per perspective, including the word tackle. It's a very physically aggressive word, right? 
But that's how I kind of approach life. And so I'm like, okay, so how do I then seek out my identity? What is it that I'm going to go for? What am I going to understand? And so I want to peel back the layers. And, and it's a place of vulnerability and transparency that ends up happening even within oneself. Now, I haven't always been vulnerable and transparent even with myself. And I suspect that some of you may struggle with that as well. And sometimes it's because we might be a little bit afraid of what's behind the door or behind the curtain or whatever it is, that there's a little bit of fear of a- or, or apprehension in even going there because, well, I don't need to unlock this or that. That's in the past. That may very well be. It may very well be that things are in the past. But there's a difference between hiding away scared because of what might show itself, okay, there's a difference between that and going ahead and looking at it and saying, wow, thank you, God, for bringing me through this. You are amazing. Thank you for presenting yourself to me in this situation. I did not know it then, but I know it now, that you have always been with me, that you've never left me, you've never forsaken me. And I know that now. And so thank you, Father, that you are even willing to show me who Christ was in that moment where he was seated where I was seated in him and how he felt about these different situations and circumstances that I was going through. And when I can gravitate towards that, when I can discipline myself, right? And I do believe that the, the Christian walk or the Christ-like walk is a walk of discipline. Self-discipline is a gift from God, right? I believe that when we walk with discipline and we walk with intentionality that we can tackle these things that are in our lives as far as when I say tackle what I mean is I don't need to be afraid anymore of who I once was and the circumstances that I found myself in because they don't define me Christ defines me and when I can hold fast to that very truth that it is Christ that defines me I don't need to be afraid to open the door from the past and take a look because some of those experiences help to determine who I became the actions that I that I have lived out since then and so to no longer be trapped underneath the weight of that stuff, I want to come against it and recognize who I truly am in Christ. In order to recognize who I truly am in Christ, I have to be willing to let go of some beliefs of myself, right, that are back there. And so sometimes what happens is we, we grab a hold of what would, we would consider an ungodly belief. So God says very specific things about who we are. And he says very specific things about our identity. But it is amazing to me how quickly we abandon what he says or we, in, or we don't let what he says even come to mind. But we gravitate and we hold on to these other beliefs that we have of ourselves. Oh, I'm this. I'm that. So, inst- so what I used to say about myself was I'm a very aggressive person. Right? Now, aggression isn't necessarily a negative per se, but the idea that I was bringing across certainly was, it was a negative. I was believing a very negative thing about myself that, that oh, I pursue things aggressively, aggressive, aggression, aggression. I got to tear it down, break it up, spit it out. It's very negative, right? But when I went back and I just explored some of my own personal journey and I opened up some of those doors, what I began to realize is I'm actually not aggressive, I'm passionate, and that's a big difference, right? Passionate. You're allowed to be passionate. And when I began to sort of um, recognize these ungodly beliefs that, that I was angry and whatever, well, I've had angry times and angry circumstances, and, and I've addressed life from an angry, angry perspective sometimes because I was hurting, but that doesn't define who I am. Christ defines who I am. And Christ says to me, 
hey, buddy, you're passionate. I, I, I nurtured this in you. I put this in you, and I desire to bring that out because the world needs passion, right? Now, passion is a pretty strong word for me. It also goes hand in hand with this other word, come passion, right? And Jesus was moved by come passion, right? So I'm going to just break that down. Come Passion, like passion, you got to drive, you have drive, you, you have to do something, you've got to be involved, you've got to change the circumstances around you, around other people, that's a super great positive thing, right, and so that's what happens is when we just take these little ungodly beliefs that we have about ourselves that seem like they sort of almost sound like a truth based on how we've lived our lives and the things that have kind of manifested out of there, when we take those things and we bring them totally into the light and recognize, actually, that isn't what God says about me at all. He says this about me. And then I say, well, who do I want to believe? Do I want to believe my inner voice, the, the me that's talking to myself all the time? Or do I want to believe the one who made me, the one who has a plan and a purpose for me? Which one do I want to believe? And so there again, with intentionality, I'm allowed to make a decision, and God allows me that power. He gives us that power to make a decision to either walk with him or, or walk on our own or whatever we choose. And I'm grateful for him for that because he doesn't force me to make a decision. He doesn't force me to confront anything. He doesn't, like, there isn't force, but there is a lure, and that lure is love. You know, like, it's a very um, warm safe sense, right? Like, all of a sudden, life begins to unravel in you, but in a really good way, you know? And, and you don't have to control all the time, but you can, you can just kind of let it be. And I find that when we can just let it be, that feels a lot like this word that was sort of missing in what I thought was my life, peace. When we can just let something be, that looks a lot like peace, Right? And so we can find that within our identity, within Christ in me, the hope of glory, I can find peace. There is peace inside there. Oh, so I'm not some tumultuous storm brewing inside ready to explode. No, absolutely you are not. You're not that. You are peace, and you bring peace to the storm. Like, that's pretty powerful, right? You can only release what's inside you, right? And so if I want to say, hey, storm, just settle down, there's got to be a settling that happens within me first, right? And so I don't want to be afraid to confront those things. And, and there was a time where I even used to define uh, myself by words like masculine. And so what does even masculine looks like, look like? Well, to me, Christ is the most masculine and feminine figure of all time. He encompasses the best of both, right? But when I want to grab, gravitate towards this word, of in my own mind, my own identity, I want to be a masculine man. I, I, like, what does that mean? I mean, that guy laid his life down for everybody. That was the most powerful, powerful move, right? He, he, he submitted himself. I'm like, that comes from a place of power and calm and peace and trust. Trusting in the one who knows. And Christ, like God the Father, knows he knows the plans. He knows the future. And if I trust him implicitly, right, and that's the struggle, would you agree? Trusting God implicitly, without question, would you agree with me, can be a bit of a struggle from time to time. 
But what if it wasn't a struggle from moment to moment? So what if, what if we can kind of scale things back and instead of looking at life from a long, long-term perspective, which is difficult for a person like me, um, but rather scale it back into the moment, can I release everything I have and all my fears and all of my concerns and all of my worries and all of my plans, can I release it to him just for the moment and just trust him in the moment and just find out what it feels like in that one moment? And so in case you wonder whether or not you can do it, this morning, we were asked, for the most part, to do that very thing, is to just give God our moment in the form of soaking, and to do something that in the past for me seemed extremely effeminate, but truly is one of the most powerful, most impactful disciplines that Jen and I have ever gravitated towards, is purposely laying myself down before the Lord and Engaging him completely and saying, I'm embarrassed to be here like this. But thank you, God, for empowering me to do so because I need you more than I need me. Right? And that looks like something. It's, it's a transforming act to submit ourselves to the power and to the touch and to the t- tenderness of God. True masculinity comes in the form of tenderness. Right? Man, that's a, I should write that one down. I like it. You know? Hopefully it's all right I'm talking about masculinity. I feel like it's uh, important. And femininity is important. They are actually part of the characteristics of God. And we are allowed to actually manifest all of that, right? Because we were made in His image. Certainly we should be able to celebrate those things. So again... I want to endeavor to go contrary to culture because culture determines identity based on external, right? It's the external things, external words, external experiences that we internalize. And I want to move away from that by intention and through actual uh, action. So how do I do that then? Well, I personally look at things like where do I want to be? How do I want to see myself? Who do I believe myself to be? The best parts of me. I want to see those things come to the surface. Those things that are these negative things that I've held on to for so long that are so toxic towards, like for me, and toxic to the ones around me, I want to let those go. I want to overcome those things. How can I do that? Well, the best way that I know how to do that is to surrender those titles, those words, those things to God and say, God, what do you say? What do you say? Because the only absolute in my life is God. The only absolute truth in my life is the word of God. So what does the Word of God that is absolute say to me about me? Right? What does the Word of God say to you about you? And you begin, again, through discipline, to walk through the Word. Begin to start pulling on things. So one of the things that God was saying to me this morning is I was going back and forth, and I was during worship I was standing aside the there, and I was looking up, and for whatever reason I felt as though the Father was displaying His face to me, And I began to recognize, like, we actually can radiate the glow of God by simply intentionally engaging in his presence mindfully. It's a mindful, willful act to turn our face towards him and to gaze upon him. It's it's a very intentional act. And I recognize that not everybody feels like they can do that because it seems too ethereal or whatever. But trusting in God and activating things through faith, things will manifest in your life. And so as I was doing that, he says, you know what, Ken, I want you to know something. I've made you to be a certain way. 
and, and together we're going to bring you to that place. And I want you to know that there are still people today who are called to hold the, the rod of Moses. And I said, the rod of Moses, like, what are you talking about exactly? He says, I am calling for my body to be able to stand up with full confidence and hold on to the very word that I have given them to be able to strike the ground and water come out. And I'm like, well, that's pretty intense. He's like, yes, I'm an intense God. And my body is intense. She brings healing. She brings healing waters. She brings food. She makes the desert become lush. That is what my body does. And so I want my body to know that that power is still within us. There's nothing about Moses that it makes him so significantly special that you can't also then hold a stick in your hand, hit the rock, and water come out. Because it isn't about the stick. It isn't about the person. But it is about the God inside the person. And that God is Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus is the one who manifests inside of you and it's through his Holy Spirit. And each one of us carries that very same spirit. And so there should really be absolutely no reason for us to to not see these miracles happen. What we should be seeing, really, in a fully surrendered life, is that the people around us feel like they are truly drinking out of rivers, rivers of living water. That they feel refreshed being in our presence. That they don't hunger. That they don't thirst. Because God is that present within you because of your intentionality to make him known through your being. I think that's pretty spectacular, right? And so that, to me, also is a, is a call to destiny. It's, it is. God wants to reawaken the world. He wants to reawaken his church and say, hey, I have given a promise to the world and it needs to be manifested through you. And one of the ways it gets manifested through you is for you to come against all of these things that you hold so dear about who you think you are. And to hold rather to the things that I say about you. Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is who you are. For so long in my Christian walk, I believed that I was a sinner, condemned, unclean. And I was, absolutely once upon a time, a sinner, condemned, unclean. But that isn't who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And regardless of what it, whatever mistakes I make from day to day, from moment to moment... God sees me as righteous. He calls me holy. He calls me blameless. And it's his word in my life that calls me to, into the very thing that he sees me to be. It isn't even my own actions. Because my actions themselves alone aren't even going to be good enough. But only him through me. Right? Only him through you. And so when we, can, when we wrestle with this, right? We're like so often we think we're not good enough. Agreed? Okay, raise your hand if you've never experienced that, where you've been like, have you always felt as though you are good enough all of the time? Josh. <laughs> Josh is always good enough. But that's actually the truth. You are always enough. You are, the, you are the very plans and purposes of God being manifested in the world. You are made in the image of Christ. His image. Right? Right from the beginning of the word to the end of the word, he's like, hey, buddy, I made you in my image. You are spectacular. Any word that comes to you from whether internally or externally that says you're anything less than spectacular is a lie. You are spectacular. You are healing, right? You are made in his image. He's a healer. Guess what you are? You are a healer. Okay? You bring provision. You bring promise. You bring hope. You bring joy. You bring peace. You bring love. It's who you are. And so the sooner we begin 
to tear down the things in our, in our own lives, in, again, with intention. It takes courage to do this. It does. It takes courage to, to come against these strongholds. But God says that he has actually given us power. He has given us weapons, really, to tear down these strongholds. I'm like, are you serious? So not only do you make these promises, not only do you tell me who I am, but you give me weapons for my warfare? I'm like, what? That's amazing. So that also tells me, of course, that there is warfare. I'm going to experience warfare. I do experience warfare. And sometimes the warfare really is with the language that I speak over myself internally. So what do I want to do to, to counteract society's uh, effect on me? Because society in and of itself, in my opinion, isn't evil. It's just a grouping of people that believe certain stuff, right? We're all just, you know, operating often from a place of brokenness. That's it. But really what Christ did on the cross was for everybody. And so the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ that we are allowed to bring to everybody is they need not stay in the squalor, in this mess of self-loathing and self-deprecation. Like we don't need to allow that to happen. We actually have a beautiful story to tell people about a loving, merciful God who absolutely was not content to allow us to be like downtrodden. But he said, I will lift you up. Because I love you. So all of these things that have transpired on the cross are super meaningful and powerful. And just like I said last week, he wasn't content to simply rise from the grave. He wasn't content to ascend on his own. He ascended and took us with him because now we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did it, not me, not Trevor, not any one of us, right? And remember this, you guys, that when we look at each other, the other person, the person we're looking, not looking at is in the image of Christ, is not Christ over your life, isn't your Savior. We should not put the expectation on each other to lift us up out of some grave, to lift us up into some holy place. That was what Christ did. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. And that's beauty because we want to remove pressure off of each other to perform. Don't we? I mean, like, seriously, like, thankfully, thanks God and you, I feel no pressure to perform right now. So it's really great, right? And, uh, and we can do that for each other. Where we can lift that burden that we've placed on other people, we can lift it off. They are not our truth. We want to bring life into every situation. So defining identity then should really, in my opinion, as a Christ-like one, one who chooses to follow Christ, I should be finding my identity in him. And so what some Christians say is, is uh, what Christ says about me or what the Father says about me is my full identity and that's where I'm going to find it. Well, there is a truth in that, but I, want, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a bigger truth, and that is this, that your identity is truly found in Him. So the greater your knowledge of Him, the greater intimacy you have with Him, the, that is when it begins to manifest in your life and changes the way you think about yourself. So not just simply what somebody else externally says about you. So even if we're listening to the words of Christ, still, it's, that is still an external word. What we need is to have true intimacy with the Father, recognizing that we're one. And when we recognize we're one, then what's true of him is also true of me. Because we're one. Right? If we're one, we're one. What's true of God is true of me. His plans and purposes are actually going to be manifested, and they will be manifested in my life. That is the, it's the truth. So that means, and I, I know he's got great, big, long-term plans, so I've absolutely hold on to long life. Okay? Good. Let's set that aside. How does God see us? Truly important. Since Colossians 3, 1, 4, 
says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Since then, because you've been raised, because of this, you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. You died. You were co-crucified with him. Yeah, I know. It's a bit, again, it's a bit of a, it's a truth that supersedes the current truth that we hold on to. Right? Well, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. Well, you needn't because you're dead. And last time I checked, dead people don't struggle. Right? They don't. Dead people don't struggle. So when I recognize myself as dead, it's just a lot easier. And so sometimes in order to engage soaking or to engage dancing for me is, can be feel embarrassing, but it shouldn't matter because I'm dead, and this is what God is drawing out of me, and so when I release myself to be dead, I suddenly come to life, and it's a wonderful thing. There is resurrection, I'll have you know, okay? He is the resurrection and the life, and uh, so again, I come back to Colossians 3, verse 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Wherever Christ shines through, you also will shine because you're one with him. Okay? When you show up, when you, sh- when you truly show up, when you present yourself, Christ shows up and is manifested. I think that's a pretty fantastic thing, yeah. right? And again, you guys, it's not on us to perform that. It's just the truth of the gospel. We're dead, co-crucified with him, co-raised with him, co-seated with him, co-heirs with him. Everything is together, oneness, right? News for you, it's actually not a promise only for you, but for all of creation it's a promise. One, oneness. 1 Corinthians 3.23, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. 1 Corinthians 6.17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We are one. And I'll tell you what, I know that some people say, like this, yeah, it's a little bit too far out there. It's too extreme to put Bible verses everywhere you go or whatever. But I'll tell you what, there's all other kinds of propaganda all over the place. Would it not be a good idea to maybe interact with yourself by putting up truth that can fight the propaganda that you, you've surrounded yourself with via TV, internet, or whatever, that like, just flashes, even when you're driving, you see all kinds of things that are trying to tell you who you are, right? Like, have you ever noticed you're not thirsty, but then all of a sudden you'll see this wonderful, clear glass sweating because of the cold ice on the inside, and you hear this, and the glass tips, and this, well, in my case, this beautiful brown liquid starts getting poured out, out of this red and white can. It's got this sort of sway on the side. And you're like, I am so thirsty right now. <laughs> right? The world is constantly telling you something about yourself. It's okay then. I give you permission. Maybe give yourself permission to go ahead and counteract that by putting some truths up around you. You are one with him. Romans 6 verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body... So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That man is dead. That man who was, who was 
born in sin is dead. That man that was a slave to sin is dead. That's the truth. And it is a higher truth than the truth that sometimes we hold on to. I struggle with this. Good for you. I want you to know something. You are righteousness. You are. What you've done might have been a sinful act, but it doesn't change who you are. You are righteous. You have already been and will continue to be made perfect. Not of your own, but because of him. Because it is Holy Spirit that is transforming us into the likeness of Christ in glory. I want to surrender to that to make his job a little easier. <laughs> okay? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You are made a royal priesthood. You are made a holy nation. You are God's special possession. This is the reason. There's a reason. So that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of dark, darkness and into the light. That is again part of the good news of the gospel. That the one who brought you out of darkness into light has done the very same thing for everybody else we see. They just don't necessarily know that yet. And so we then are tasked with a holy purpose and task, destiny, right? Purpose, plans, to bring that good news and let everybody else around, around us know, those who we come into contact with, that there is one who has brought them out of this darkness and into the glorious light and has, in fact, turned them from darkness into a glorious light. He is the father of lights. He says, you are the light of the world. He has turned them from darkness. He's turned us all from darkness into light. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. Every single child from heaven. Everyone who's ever been born was a, was a reward from heaven. Significant. We can all look at babies and say, oh, that's so precious. You are still precious. Still today. And it, it, it's not dependent on how you feel about it. It's just not. Your feeling about it is sort of inconsequential to God. Not to you, because that, I mean, your feelings are really your feelings, and you're going to live out of there. I'm suggesting you might want to change that a little bit. 1 John 3, 1-2 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, because it's far too spectacular even for us. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And the world, too, sees him as he is based on how they see us. They'll know him by the love that we have for one another. That's how they'll know him. That's what makes him attractive. Right? Or at least that's what makes his body attractive. His face is unchangingly gorgeous. His body sometimes goes through different metamorphoses, different changes that make her less attractive sometimes. But the truth is, she is exactly what the world needs. The expressed love of God through the body. Okay? And it's not even, you guys, the love that we have for them out there. That's not what it says. 
they will know us by our love for one another. That's a powerful thing that we've got to wrestle for and hold on to. Okay? How we love one another is what declares to the world out there what we're really about and what Christ's, like living as Christ looks like. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Sometimes I want to look at myself in the mirror and say, buddy, you have been crucified in Christ and you no longer live. So this opinion that you're holding on to so steadfastly and you're willing to war for, maybe just lay it down. Just lay it down. My opinions can be laid down. My plans can be laid down. My timeline can get laid down. How I want to see it happen can be laid down. Because what's more important than the timeline? What's more important than my plans and my strategic way of doing this or that? His plans and his purposes. And his plans and purposes always, always, always include wooing people in through love, through compassion, right? So through, again, through discipline and intention, we need to make time in our lives to be able to act out on that compassion. Jesus was tired, and he wanted to withdraw from the crowds. Yet, his, his heart was moved by compassion, and so he ministered anyway. That's really significant to a person like myself, because I can find myself tired as well. And I can find myself wanting to, to withdraw. But then there are still others out there around me that really do need love. And they need some time spent with them. And I'm like, too bad. No. I want to be laying it aside and saying, Father, then I need your strength right now because I can't do this on my own. I need you to do this through me. That's what I want. It isn't what always manifests, but that is part of my lifelong goal is to surrender my timeline and all of these different things to him, my weariness to him. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust that when I'm ministering out of a heart of compassion, that he is going to give me the energy to do so, that he's going to give me a heart to do so, he's going to give me the words, he's going to give me the right touch, he's going to show me exactly what needs to happen in the moment because I want to live by faith in this body. I want to live by faith, right? I want to know that, that I can trust him implicitly and even though I may not be eating, even though I might not be drinking, they will eat and they will drink because of him through me. And that's, that's important. Ephesians 2.10 2, says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are, some of us are task-oriented. And I'll tell you what, like there was a season that I came through where I was like, man, being task-oriented isn't allowed in the body. Right? Because it looks like striving. It looks like this. It looks like that. But the truth is that when my agenda is laid aside, God still has a plan and purpose for me that includes tasks. Right? And I want to do these tasks not because I want to try to earn favor or please him in some way. I want to be pleasing to him, but I already am. I'm already pleasing to him. Right? But in this, he has, he has prepared works in advance for us to do. And we want to partner together with him in doing the very things he's prepared in advance for us to do. I think that makes sense. He's got this all thought out. 
So the only way for me to really know what that is, though, is to be intimate with him through intentionality, to set time aside to do these things. And people say, well, you know what, that was the past, this is the future, blah, 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 or present, you know, that was the law, this is like we're under grace now. Absolutely, and I want to celebrate, celebrate grace by giving of myself to him through discipline, through intentionality, bringing myself into submission to his timeline and his works and his plans and his purposes. And if he wants to spend time with me on the floor, then I want to surrender and give him my time on the floor. If he wants to spend time with me going from bus stop to bus stop to talk to people or just to sit with people, then I want to do that, or at least I would like to like to do that, right? I want those things to be manifested. I want to be able to surrender. And so, again, this comes like... This is where we're going to tackle destiny for a little bit. Like if God has a plan and purpose for me that I want to walk in through intentionality, then through discipline, I'm going to then submit to something. I'm going to submit. In other, in, in other words, for me, what that looks like is, when, again, it might look different for you. I don't know. I don't know every single one of you, like, intimately. But I suspect that sometimes we all struggle with similar things, such as time. Like what do we do with our time or how, how much time of like, does God really need of me? And, well, the truth is he wants all of it. He can do so much with so little, but think about how much he could do with so lots. <laughs> right? I want to intentionally surrender my time to him. I want to be aware that even, okay, there was a season where I didn't actually believe that you could have real encounters with God, that you could have a real conversation with him that would be two ways. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that God could manifest himself in three different voices, Father, Son, and Spirit. I didn't believe that. Like, I believed, I mean, like, I believed it as far as a doctrinal statement, I'd believe it, but as far as being able to live in it and have it as a tangible part of my life, that I didn't believe could happen. Well, I was a very miserable Christian, like many of those who were my mentors at the time. And there came a day where I was like, I'm not satisfied with this. And, made, and in fact, I know that's the point of this message this morning. God's plan and purpose is this, that there are some of you who aren't satisfied internally with the conversation you're having with God, the conversation you're having with yourself. Some of you aren't. You want something more than what is currently manifesting in your life. And I'm telling you that there is a promise for you today. That after today, if you're willing to submit yourself to him, you will have a tangible, actual conversation with the most loving of loving fathers ever. That he really does know you. He knows how to communicate to you in a way that's your language. That won't put you off, but will rather draw you in. Because he created you with the language in which you speak to yourself. It's his voice in you that is often speaking. And you might brush it off because it sounds like your voice. But I'll tell you what. All of his sheep know, the, know his voice. And this is what God said to me. Do you know any voice better than your own? I said, absolutely not. He said, see, I used your voice. And I asked you the question. But the character behind the question was not Ken. I knew it. I knew his character. His character was showing through. And it was my voice. And I was like, wow, this is actually very easy. He says, I know. I made it to be easy because I want you to hear me. I want you to experience my love, the tangibleness of who I am. And I was like, awesome. Can you maybe show me physically? You know, and we do. We long for this. We long for a sign so that we will believe. And sometimes the sign is given. Sometimes. 
But more often than not, those who believe are the ones who see. Those who believe are the ones who hear. Those who believe are the ones who end up engaging in the tangible presence of God. And so I began to change who my mentors were. I began to change who I aligned myself with. People who began to speak of having a real, honest-to-goodness relationship with a loving God, a loving Father who transformed their lives. I wanted that. I wanted to have a relationship with God who actually still was present in the world today and still was engaged in the work of the people. Because it wasn't just the work of the people, it was the work of God and the people doing His work. I wanted that. And so again, intentionality with alignment, right? Who are you aligning yourselves with? What are the voices that you are allowing to speak into your life? Begin to see your life as God sees it because he has a plan and a purpose for you. A plan to prosper you, not to harm you. So if the people around you are speaking a language that brings harm to you, you want to disassociate from that language. Including your own language. If your own language is bringing harm to you, you want to disassociate yourself from that language. and You want to bring back the truth of the scripture into your life. You want to align yourself with people who actually believe in the manifest presence of God. If, you, if that's what you want manifested in your life. That's what God wants manifested in the world. Right? If you want to see healings manifested, then begin to hang out with people. With, I mean, obviously you have. Believe, begin to intentionally be with those who believe. Believe, believe, believe. If only you would believe. If only you would believe. Right? I read this book from Smith Wigglesworth. It was super short. It said, if only you would believe. Okay, and then the chapter went on, and then it would come, if only you would believe. If only you would believe. And I kept hearing Jesus' voice over this thing. If only you would believe. You wouldn't have had to wake me up. You could have calmed the storm. If only you would believe. You could have fed the 5,000, not me. You. You do this. You do this. You do this. And so Jesus says, if only you would believe. If only you would believe in the power of my spirit inside of you, you would change the world. Not everybody wants to be a world changer, but you are still. Because of the people that you impact... There is a world. You are impacting the world. And you can choose to walk in the light of Christ, who is the hope of glory living within you. And you can choose then to allow that to manifest in your life. <laughs>